took out a file of camphor from her pocket and inhaled. Better. She arranged her face into a smile. Her performance for Lord Bruckner was about to begin. Her petticoat rustled against the boards as she went along the corridor and up the stairs into the box. On the way, she almost bumped into Mr. Pepys, hurrying up the same stairs with a supply of nuts and oranges. For Elizabeth, he said obviously feeling the need to apologise for the sheer number of squashed bags hugged to his chest. She nodded and stood aside, lowering her eyes to avoid his conversation. He could talk the baggage off a donkey. To her relief, he squeezed past and hurried into his own box further along the row. When she got to her own, the candelabra had been lit, and upon her arrival, Lord Bruckner drew out the chair so that she could sit. Ah, there you are he whispered. You're late. You missed the first act. She shook her head. The traffic through town. Hush, they're about to start again. Have a comfy. She reached out her hand and smiled, took a marchpane sherry, but dropped it under her seat as soon as Lord Bruckner turned back to look at the stage. She was glad his attention was diverted, so he did not notice her pallid face or that she could not swallow. The actor who had just entered rapped three times for silence, his face ghoulish from the footlights, which smoked in their holders. The hubbub fell to a hush, but Abigail's thoughts would not lie quiet. She was thinking of Harrington, of how long it would be before they found him. He should have listened to Pete, then his mouth wouldn't have had to be shut the hard way. She'd liked him, but, in her business, Liking was a luxury she was ill able to afford. Chapter Two Deb Willett hugged her sister and turned to glance back through the dark doorway. She'd hated the house for so long and with such intensity that she was surprised to see how small it really was. Now she was leaving. It was as if its narrow, half-timbered walls had shrunk to doll's house proportions. Hester would manage without her. She was nearly twelve, after all. Deb tried to prise her sister's fingers from her arm, but Hester clung on. All right, I promise, Deb said. But I don't know what I'll do. I can't finish my embroidery without you. The butterflies are too hard. Don't go. Deb squeezed Hester's hand. I have to. See, Aunt Beth's waiting. She gestured to the carriage, a black bear line, where her brass-bound trunk was already stacked behind. Their aunt, a solid black figure in a heavy travelling cloak and jagged hat, wrestled the door open against the wind. But when will I see you again? I don't know. Soon. It will depend on the peepses when they let me have a few days off together, long enough to visit. Next week? I told you, chicken, I don't know. Hush now, it's not so bad. Hester clung to a fistful of Deb's sleeve, mouth quivering, eyes threatening tears. Deb was about to comfort her again when she heard the bang of the carriage door. She pulled Hester into a protective embrace as Aunt Beth strode over, face pinched with intent. That's enough, Aunt Beth said, throwing up her hand ready to strike. I never saw such nonsense in all my life, making such a scene before the neighbours. It's all right, Hester, 
Deb said, thrusting herself between Aunt and her sister. She took hold of Hester by the shoulders and bent to look her in her face. Listen, I'll come back as soon as I can. Just do as Aunt Beth says. Will you look for Mama? Hester's voice was a whisper to prevent Aunt Beth hearing. London's a big place. If you find her, you'll come and fetch me? Deb shook her head, unable to answer. But you said we'd always be together. You promised. Hester wrenched herself away, took a deep, sobbing breath. You're a liar, and I hate you. She fled towards the house, dark hair flying, shoes splashing mud up her skirts. Hester, wait! Deb threw up her hands, then let them fall. Hester had slammed the front door behind her. Hurry!